Welcome, everybody, to the House of Hustle podcast here on Sports Radio 810. We are presented by Charlie Hustle. This is episode two with my co-host, Stephen St. John. Stephen, how are we doing? We're doing good. All three of the uh, local schools that we normally talk about won over the weekend, so I don't know how often that's going to happen once we get to the regular season in the conference, so that's good. Yeah, it's a good good weekend of basketball. I know there was a lot of football going on with the uh, with the NFL on Saturday, uh, but some really good college basketball games. I had the, the uh, opportunity to be in New York at Madison Square Garden for UCLA, Kentucky, and North Carolina and Ohio State, uh, so two really good games. Um, Alabama-Gonzaga was a good game. Gonzaga got a big win. So uh, you had a lot of, lot of storylines right now. And I think it's interesting with non-conference in college basketball uh, just because you look at back, at least when I played, it was always the November Thanksgiving holiday tournaments that were kind of the, the big level competition. And then you'd have some, some games leading into league play. Mizzou had bragging rights, obviously, that they're getting ready to play in. But now, now it feels like with the scheduling that a lot of these teams do, there's a lot of big games that follow the Thanksgiving holiday the tournament. I mean, the the um, CBS Sports Classic was was where I was at in New York. There's a lot of these different events now. A Jimmy V Classic was always one that's been around. There's just been a lot of a lot of really good games, a lot of good matchups in non-conference, and a lot of these schools and coaches know, with resume purposes, when it comes down to to March and and being there for the NCAA tournament, you got to have a good non-conference schedule, strength to schedule, and you got to have quality quad one wins and or quad two wins. Um, so just a, it's been good for college basketball that the competition in non-conference play has really picked up where we've seen some, some really good games. So let's, uh, you know, quick question for you. You mentioned Madison Square Garden. Yep. Uh, eliminate any of the local venues like Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, but outside of that, what's been your favorite uh, venue to go watch college basketball as an NBA scout? Yeah, so the Garden's great. Um, it's easy to get in and out of. Um, I feel like I always get taken care of there, which is which is always great. And obviously, it's it's New York. Um, you know, it's the world's most famous arena, so it's a lot of fun. I think, you know, I went to Duke for the first time uh, this fall, uh, or this year, I should say, uh, and Cameron was a, was a different experience. I mean, it was such a cool environment, historical venue, obviously. Um, all these venues are very different. I, I, I still think Kansas in terms of just crowd noise and, you know, the volume level that it gets to Allen Fieldhouse is up there at the top. But I think Dayton, Ohio, actually is one of the most underrated college for, for the Dayton Friars. Their fan base is awesome. And, and that's that the venue, home of the first four, right? That's the home of the first four. And it's a, there's a reason why it's there. That's always a fun place uh, to, to go evaluate. Um, but there, there's a lot of different, I think it's really the schools that I think still value scouts uh, and put them in good seats and, Almost, you know, there, there's some schools that give you a media credential. Kansas does, Kansas does such an unbelievable job with scouts. Um, but there's some venues, you know, that they want to put their, their donors, and, and I get it. And the, the scouts are kind of at the back end of, of you know, certain venues where you, you get a seat that you're thinking, I'm going to have to walk around old school style and just try to find one open seat so I can get a good, good eye view of, of, of a game. But um, I would say Dayton is probably the most underrated venue to, to go see a game. Well, uh, the atmosphere hasn't been great over the past several years at Mizzou Arena, but uh, a great atmosphere certainly was uh, was there for the Mizzou-Kansas game in Columbia last week. We talked about that in the last podcast, but that's about it. That's, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the atmosphere was great. The crowd was ready to explode at any moment in favor of Mizzou, but the team never gave them a reason to get excited, and Kansas basically walked through uh, Missouri, we talked about 22 combined layups and slam dunks, a wide open three point shots, 
Kansas, and nothing against Kansas, they were fantastic, but the, you know Missouri didn't make them work for, for their shots, and they didn't play transition defense, and I get it. Missouri just isn't uh, at that level yet, and Dennis Gates said the, the program is in its infancy stage. But, man, uh, I think we're all hoping for a little bit better effort than what we saw, but you have to credit Kansas. And I thought one of the most compelling comments after the game is when they asked Dewan Harris, hey, how did how were you affected by the uh, by the atmosphere? He just kind of shrugged it off and said, hey, I just played for a national championship in front of 70,000 people. This didn't bother me at all. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that makes sense. That right. sounds right, yeah. And so I know, you know, um, I know we were hoping for a better game, but Grady Dick was terrific, Kansas was terrific, and Missouri's got a long way to go before they can compete with a team on that level. No question. Um, it's their first time they've been really tested by a championship-caliber team. Kansas is the champs. I first off love that DeWan Harris comment. I mean, it's true. Like he's played in the biggest environments yeah. and he's won a national championship. Like, I mean, why would this bother right? You? Like he lives for these moments. It bothered Missouri more than it bothered Kansas. I think so too. I agree. I, I think Kansas. I, I I this is why I really wanted to hit on before the game of coaches motivating their teams in different ways. And you started to hear how Bill Self kind of motivated his team going into this rivalry game. Knowing, yeah, they're going to be the favorite, and and they should, you know, the, the three point line. I I couldn't really wrap my mind around going into the game as it is, but the fact that I, I Kansas looked very motivated starting that game. I mean, they came out ready to go, guns blazing. They were firing on all cylinders on both ends of the floor. I mean, they looked ready and hungry to play, uh, and that that to me was just the motivating factor. I think of of Bill Self and his staff getting his team ready to go. Now, I think Missouri's game plan. It's one of those things where Missouri, they're undefeated. They've played really well with the style that they've played. That's forcing turnovers. That's putting pressure, full-court pressure, running traps in full-court pressure to try to force turnovers and get steals and have early offense and shoot the ball in transition and all these things that they've been successful with. But Kansas is a different bear, and you saw that with how Kansas defended Mizzou. Mizzou had such a hard time moving the ball. They had, what, 21 turnovers to eight assists. I mean, usually those numbers are flip-flop for, for Mizzou, so you can't have that on offense. But then you turn around, and the, the for me, it's Missouri shooting quick shots because Kansas made them uncomfortable. So they're forcing shots, and Kansas is just taking the ball. And, and just really, Missouri played right into Kansas' hands because Kansas said, hey, we'll, we'll go step for step for you. We'll play in transition. We'll play fast. We can play fast. We have Dewan Harris, who's the best one of the best point guards in the country. Yeah. And Dewan Harris, I mean, my gosh, the, the passing, the creation – the ability to push the ball ahead and make quick hit hit passes ahead to where Grady Dick's getting layups, Kevin McCuller's getting shots. Kevin McCuller had a coming out party in Columbia. Um, but but let's make no mistake either. I thought Kansas in the half court. Missouri clearly had an athletic uh, and, and I think size mismatch in terms of Kansas just really exploited them. Four out, one in establishing K.J. Adams, and Kansas really hasn't done that a ton of, of, of late th- this season. They've gone small. They've really put the ball in Jalen Wilson's hands. They've done a lot of their weave action. They haven't, they've gone away from that four-out, one-in, throw the ball inside you know, as much as they did in the past with Udoka Zabuke and Cole Aldridge and, and those bigs that they had. Um, you know, they, they, they just really did a lot of that with David McCormick in the, in the NCAA tournament a year ago. So they're, they're molding into the team that, that Kansas is. But Missouri just couldn't match that. And KJ was really good in that game for KU to, to really spark them, give them a presence in the interior, take a little pressure off Jalen Wilson. But Missouri struggled to defend. The one thing I will say, Stephen, Missouri did do a better job in the second half of at least taking a 30-point deficit, getting it to 15, to 14. They just don't – they didn't have the firepower to get all the way back, but at least they showed some fight in the second half. 
So they needed to come back and get that game wiped out of their memory and try to bounce back and win against UCF because the upcoming schedule is the bragging rights game against Illinois, then the conference opener against Kentucky, and then a game against a really talented Arkansas game, uh, Arkansas team. And so they needed a win, and that's what they got uh, in the Orange Bowl Classic down in Florida against UCF. And it looked like they were going to lose, but a, uh, a buzzer-beating uh, three off the glass by DeAndre Golston. Um, and Des Moines Hodge made a great play to lay, after he fell down, lying on his stomach, to basically just push that basketball over to uh, over to Golston where he had a chance to hit that game winner. What can that do for a team to win a game like that? You're on the road. Uh, you're in, you're in uh, a situation where you want to try to bounce back from a tough loss, and you win a game in that fashion. I don't know how many buzzer beaters you've ever been a part of, whether it's in high school or, or in college, but to see the way that team celebrated – uh, it was it was it seemed like they were relieved, but also that could be a bonding moment when you're on the road, you're down in Florida, you come back, you win a game like that in dramatic fashion. That's the type of win that maybe can bring this team closer together, right? Absolutely. Uh, I go back to um, I'll bring up Zaire Taylor into the conversation yeah. when I was in school <laughs> at Iowa State, my junior year. Um, by the way, where's he at now? He is, uh, well, he's still playing overseas. I'm not sure if he still is playing. Um, but he, I think by two years ago, he was still playing overseas um, and was playing at a high level, actually. So he's, he's still playing, and that's, you know, that's another story. I, I knew Zaire would still be playing. He, right. he, he could play in a glorified rec league, and he would be playing nonstop. So. An upcoming uh, where are they now segment, maybe with Zaire Taylor. There, we could do that. We could do that. The thing about Zaire, though, uh, when, when we had him um, – you know, a guy that lived for the moment, but the Iowa State game, my junior, to get to the tournament, we had to have a win to get, you know, get into the tournament, and it was on the road. I don't know if you remember this game where I do. Zaire went coast to coast, a high arcing shot, like a runner teardrop off glass um, over, and Iowa State was a really good team that year. They were in the NCAA tournament as well, so it was, we had to have it going into the Big 12 tournament, and that feeling in that locker room, and over it was an overtime win, um, it was such a bonding moment. I mean, it was, it was a relief because you win the game, but it was such a battle. And there were things in that game that we really, you know, we, we didn't close. We, we had a lead in that game. We blew that lead. Um, you know, we, we were really struggling on the glass. There were a lot of factors where you're thinking, man, if we just clean this up, we'll be, you know, we'll be fine. And Zaire saves the day and wins us the game. So I th- when I tie that into DeAndre Golston's three, it's a moment where, it's such a high to, to hit a game winner, it, you know, to, to have that feeling, especially on the road, uh, winning on the, winning on the, winning on your home court is one thing and you want to take care of your home court. It's it, it don't, don't get me wrong. Winning is it's, it's that feeling you get in any win, but on the road, it's a little bit different because you know, you're, you're, it's you against everybody else. And that's, that's fans. That's, you know, you're, if you're on a neutral site and there's not a lot of energy in the building, which is what it was in, in this UCF matchup for Mizzou, the fact that they were able to get the win, and look, they they held UCF to 66, so their defense was a little bit better, I thought. That's that's a positive. Uh, the fact that they're finding a way to close a game, even the, you know, the late-game execution from Dennis Gates to just let the play ride, not foul, not call timeout. They were down 10 nothing to start this game, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what are they going to do today? Are they going to get blown out again, wiped off the floor? And Nick Honor steps up. Older player hits threes. Des Moines Hodge has had a great year in general. Um, you know, he's another guy that shot the ball really well in this game and made a great play to get Golston the ball. And I just think it's the connection to 
um, which is something I would tie back into Zaire. Is Zaire had such a great feel of everybody on the floor at all times, and he wasn't our best scorer, but he just knew how to make plays late in games. And Demoy Hodge made a great play, and him and DeAndre Golson have played together for many years at Cleveland State. I think that showed in that moment because DeAndre dragged in that situation, thinking Demoy was going to try to take it as far as he could. He obviously falls to the floor. But they're in the right positions to make the play happen. It's not how you draw it up. It's I, I'm, I mean, DeAndre didn't even really get a great look. He just had to get it off. It's a heads-up play by both guys that are older players. So uh, was that an important message that Gates sent to his team that you know he, he, he decided not to foul, as you said, and just let it play out because there was about a six-second difference between the shot clock and the game clocks, six or seven seconds. He let him play defense, and then after they got the stop and got the rebound, didn't call a timeout, and trusted them to finish the game. So two times, defensively and then offensively in transition, he trusted the team. Was that an important message that was delivered to his team? Like, hey, with the game on the line, I'm not going to call a timeout. I'm going to trust you guys to do the right thing, and it came through. I think so. I, you know, it's the coach's discretion in those situations to make not only you know calls and timeouts and um, whatever it might be late in game. You work on that in practice. It's situational. You talk about it in coaches' meetings and team meetings. Um, your analytics group has a part of this. Um, but it's always the conversation of you have to make that decision as a head coach with the flow of a game. Um, and I thought in just the, that moment, yes, I think it can build trust with the team. Um, it's situations they work on and practice all the time. I actually think Dennis Gates trusted his defense there. So I give him credit. I, I think it was a confidence booster of, look, they, they've gotten stops at multiple times in this game. They were down 10-0 to start the game. They got stops to get back in it. Um, it was just one of those games where I think he just had a feel of, I'm going to let this play out. I'm not going to use my timeout. I'm going to let them go. I got older guys on the floor that I've been in these situations with before. Like, they can't be overstated enough. They've won a lot of games, DeAndre Golston and Demoy Hodge and Trey Gomillion and these guys from Cleveland State with Dennis. So I, I think there was just a little bit of a feel there already that Dennis had. I'm going to let my guys go. I trust him. He's probably been in those situations at Cleveland State many of times. And they made a play. They came through. Um, and the bench reaction speaks for itself. Um, everybody rushing on the floor, running on my – Phil Pressy we talked about last week, uh, first guy to the floor. I, I gave him a hard time had, after that. I wish he had some eligibility. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think it is a, it, it's a great win because it's, it's, it's not on your home floor. They, they, find, they did this at Wichita State, too, where they found a way late in the game to find a way to win. And good teams do that. They're ten and one now. Uh, they have Illinois head bragging rights, okay, and here we go. Rights. Here we go. You were part of this, yeah. And this is one of the most unique atmospheres. Talk about atmospheres in college basketball. It's in St. Louis. The crowd split right down the middle, and it's always it seems like just a tremendous atmosphere, no matter what the records are. Having been a part of this, how does it compare to any other atmosphere you played in front of? in college basketball, and what does this mean to these players? How can they, I mean, even for the coach, only a few guys have experienced this on the roster. Yeah. So it's up to Kobe Brown, Phil Pressey, mm -hmm. and some of the other guys to try to get them to understand, and maybe they just won't until they see it. This is a unique atmosphere, and it's going to be something that is going to be a, another test to Mizzou's uh, mental stability and mental toughness because they're going to go up against a top 20 team in a wild environment. And the last time they were in front of an environment like that, they, they, they did not live up. 
right to what they needed to do. So now they get another chance in front of a sold out crowd that should be wild. I think it's yeah, it's another test. It's another opportunity. They're coming off a win now, so the UCF win is a big win for them. It, it really was a motivating win. It carries you into bragging rights. The bragging rights experience is different than the Kansas game. Um, you know, the, the Kansas game. It's a totally different type of adrenaline and a t- different type of atmosphere. And the rivalry, as we've touched on, it just it makes that environment so hostile. And it, it's, it's such a great environment for college basketball. And as a player, to be in those games, it's what you dream of. It's different and separate from Illinois. I go back to my freshman year in 08-09, going to Bragging Rights. We were undefeated at the time. Uh, we had some good environments of non-conference. It's an hour and a half uh, before tip, and me and Kim English were always the first one on the floor as, as freshmen. We'd get out on the floor. We'd get shots up. We, we'd get to the game. We, we were kind of the first ones to, like, get in our pregame stuff, and then we'd get on the floor as soon as possible. Kim was always – and Marcus was in this conversation, too. We, it, it, I think that was just part of our routine. We walk out there on the floor. We had trouble getting to the floor. There's so many people already in the building. They had let fans in an hour and a half before tip. And, I mean, we're talking a good amount of people. It's the holiday season. Everybody's, you know, in that type of holiday mood, um, you know, in St. Louis. And you got Illinois and Mizzou fans all in one spot. Uh, it, the, the venue, too, is right in the heart of that district of St. Louis where, you know, the fans are staying for the holidays. And there's and hatred there. There's, there's serious there's hatred. The, the, there's the line. It's it's orange and it's black. And you can it's a noticeable line. But it... That feeling walking on the floor just for pregame, and you're thinking, whoa, this is different. Like, th- this is going to be a different type of environment. And at the time, like, Illinois was was a really, really good team. Brandon um, Brandon Paul, who was on their team, who's a big-time player. Um, De- DeAndre McCamey um, was, was a big-time player for those teams. See, it was so crazy, but, like— Dimitri no McCamey, ma- excuse me, yeah. No matter what happens, the crowd goes crazy. No matter what happens. And you don't get that, like— you know, in in a like even to the Big Twelve tournament when someone plays Kansas, Kansas has got the crowd. Right. It's very rare to have the crowd split down the middle like that. To no matter what happens, yep. everyone's going crazy, and then you got everyone's booing at the same time, and so it really is. It's like it's it's nonstop. Yep. And you, that, got- you know, because because like okay, for instance, at Mizzou Arena, Kansas shut the crowd up. Yeah, and the crowd didn't, but 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 someone's going to be happy at all times in this game. And both schools know the the records of you know who's on the winning streak, right? Because when we got there, Illinois was on a pretty good streak of beating Mizzou. Then we beat Mizzou my sophomore, my junior, my senior year. They beat them. Uh, I think it was like a five game, five year streak where Mizzou went on a long streak, winning streak. Conzo Martin had good good wins against Illinois in his tenure at Mizzou too. One being uh, at Mizzou Arena um, recently, but. I think you do have to look at even games I played in and games I've seen since I left. You do sometimes have to throw the records out in these games. Like yeah. some sometimes the records do throw hold the record yeah. books out. It's just it's different. And, and and in game, you know, in this matchup, we had significant leads against Illinois my junior and senior. Illinois would come back, tie it, maybe take the lead, and it would just be down to the wire, possession by possession. Everybody's on their feet. Uh, the adrenaline's going. The nerves are going. Such a fun game. It's an incredible game. Yeah. Right before Christmas, too. It just it's the energy in that building is it's an indescribable feeling. It really is, and it's packed too. It's a it's a hockey arena, um, and it's cold as can be when you're having that practice. But the day before, and you're like, why is it so cold in here? Like it's a hockey venue. Then that place just gets packed, and it's 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 great. Like it's it's the perfect atmosphere you want. 
um, for, for the holidays, uh, for, to have that type of matchup and the rivalry. It is a rivalry, too. Like, Illinois fans, Mizzou fans, you'll hear them chirping. I always post the Matt Pressy facial dunk that he had my senior year when I've never seen Matt get up. He had, he had a tough knee injury his junior year, and Matt exploded for, like, a poster dunk. And that that 2012 game, like, I think of Matt Pressy, and I post that every year. Because that's what the rivalry is to me is like that uh, that just the the gym being packed the arena being packed both teams you know every year switching the uniform combinations the respect you have for both schools um, the coaches that have played in these games always say it too it's one of the most fun games of the year to coach in and look let's be honest that's there are other reasons but one of the one of the reasons why Conzo got pushed out the door last year is so the three games you can describe as rivalry games mm-hmm. Kansas. Bragging rights because Illinois and, and Arkansas, Mizzou got lit up in all those games. They, they were they were embarrassing to watch. And then the biggest game that you look at in conference play is Kentucky, and that was non competitive. So you, you know, that's what was so disappointed by the Missouri Kansas game. That's what you you at least wanted to be like what you're describing. Second half, final six or seven minutes of the game, going back and forth. The game of runs, make it fun. Yep, make, make this game fun for the fans because. Nothing's worse than having a big rivalry game like that, and it's it's non-competitive. And so this is going to be a very strong test for Mizzou coming up, uh, a bragging rights game against uh, Illinois. Now let's switch to Kansas. Kansas coming off that big win against Mizzou. They're taking on Indiana. Indiana, a top 15 team. Indiana, very talented. Kansas worked them, man. Yep. And I don't know what you expected, but it wasn't a competitive game. That game was basically over at halftime. It was at Allen Fieldhouse. But, again, that's just a reminder that I know they lost a lot last year. But they still got one of the best point guards and most underappreciated point guards of the nation and DeWan Harris, who, oh, by the way, helped lead his team to a national championship. They've, they've got other key components on this team that are uh, excellent, like Jalen Wilson. There were big parts. Uh, was a big part of the national championship team. And then one of the best freshmen in the country in Grady Dick, and I know Mizzou fans don't want to hear this. K-State fans don't want to hear this. Any fan of any other team doesn't want to hear this. Kansas has every opportunity to repeat. No question. When no you, question. I, I, I used to love when people would argue about what's more important, a great uh, point guard or a great big man. Man, give me the point no, guard. Yep. Give me the brains of the outfit. That kid's so smart and plays. It's just I you, you see him – and the way he plays defense, and you want that on your team. No question. Man, like how bad would you like to see, you know, a player oh, like that? Oh, yeah. There you go, right? <laughs> I feel it. I feel the but, frustration. But that's, that's like the heartbeat of the team. Yeah, absolutely. And you watch him, and I, there's nothing better to me than watching a, 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 a shutdown defensive point guard that could just take the soul away from an opposing team like he does. And it's just like the the way he carries himself, his unselfishness, like you touched on the toughness and the IQ piece. Um, but he leads by example, and he's the heart and soul of their team. And, you know, you look at Dewan and the comments he made going back to Columbia, his hometown, oh, the environment, what it was, the student section was rowdy. And, you know, he got asked, like, what was that environment like? He's like, look, I've played in big games. I've, played in, I've won a national championship. I've played in Final Fours. Like, he, he is not bothered by anything. Um, he's the same player every, every every game you watch Kansas play. What you see is what you get from Dewan Harris, and you could just it's that consistency, knowing you you know what you're going to get from him night in and night out as a head coach when you when he's the starting starting point guard. And remember, like last year, 
let's take it back to before the season started last year, before Kansas won a national championship, right? They got a high-level guard that could really shoot the ball out of Arizona State that everybody was talking about, that he was, you know, he's going to come in. Why is Dewan Harris starting? And, oh, my gosh, like, you know, doesn't make any sense. Why would Dewan, why would Coach Self start Dewan Harris? Well, the reality is, is because Dewan Harris is the best point guard they had last year. And the thing is, when, like, Frank Mason is a tough um tough conversation to have with Dewan because Frank Mason was such a great scorer. And sometimes there's 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 point guards that can really score it, that can really shoot it, and that's great. Like, you want to have point guards that can do that. But you could argue that you would rather have a point guard like Dewan Harris, and, you know, Phil Pressey was this for me, as a you know, who I think was one of the best passing point guards in the country. Phil was not a big-time scorer. Phil didn't put scoring first. Phil didn't put shooting first. Phil put passing first. He put shot creation for everybody else before himself. He was excellent pick and roll. He had great vision. Like the, he could see two steps before every other defender. Everybody was playing, you know, checkers, and he was playing chess. Kind of one of those conversations. Dewan is the same way. You look at the game against Indiana. Dewan's coming off a game where I think he had nine assists against Mizzou. He has ten assists against Indiana to three turnovers. I mean, that, that, that efficiency, and he doesn't turn the ball over, really. Like, it, the fact that he had three turnovers is just kind of surprising. Like, wow, Dewan had three turnovers? He never has three turnovers. He had 10 assists. The ball's in his hands so much, and he's still making plays. He carries them, no question about it. He, he was 5 of 8 from the field. I know so much is made of the shooting. He can still score. He had 10 points. You get 10 points from Dewan Harris, that's a great night. Um, but the fact that last year Kansas won a national championship because of Dewan Harris making plays in that national championship game in the second half made Caleb Love and R.J. Davis's life miserable in that second half when North Carolina had a lead. It was Dewan Harris that said ball pressure, ball pressure forcing turnovers, forcing uncharacteristic, you know, just having that doubt in your mind, knowing somewhere Dewan, there's Dewan somewhere, right? It sucked to play against. Him. Absolutely. He's a guy you love to have on your team and you hate playing against. But the thing is, too, Stephen, with, with this team, the why, why they're so good. Grady Dick for a freshman. We haven't talked about him enough in terms of just, he is a shooter. Like, he can score it. He's a talented freshman. 6'8", good ath- underrated athlete, very good athlete. What he's doing defensively, he's getting better. He had five steals in the Indiana game. Uh, beginning of the year in October, before season starts, you, you know, going to these practices, you knew that the, the room for growth with Grady was defensively. He's getting better. Every, every game I've seen this year, it feels like he just gets a slightly better and better and better. You know, the Duke game, he was really, he was everywhere. He was active. He wasn't maybe getting every rebound, but he was involved in 50-50 plays. He was involved. He would get a tip where, you know, it was KJ, or it was uh, Jalen Wilson getting a rebound. It was Kevin McCuller getting a rebound. But it's his activity to keep a ball alive where a teammate can get a rebound. Those things were like, okay, his motor and his effort level is very high. Like, he is playing hard. Now it's all coming together where I think he's adapting to the speed defensively. He knows where he's supposed to be in rotations and switches. He's active with the ball, but he's using his length and he's doing a great job of just getting his hands involved in plays, getting deflection, and now he's getting those steals. Huge part of this team. Jalen Wilson speaks for itself. I know Jalen didn't really shoot it all that well uh, in the Indiana game, but to force 23 turnovers. Indiana had 23 turnovers. Indiana was picked second in the big Big Ten, J- uh, um, you know, you got Jalen Hood Shafino is a really talented freshman, didn't do much in this game. Trace Jackson Davis is picked to win, or excuse me, was was a preseason, you know, player of the year uh, nominee, where I think he's got a chance to be in the conversation, was taken pretty much out of this game in the first half. Kansas, you look at the balance half to half two and putting 40 minutes together, they scored 44 in the in the first half and 40 in the second half. Offensively, that's great efficiency. Defensively, they held Indiana at 29 in the first half and 33 in the second half. It's that same level of efficiency where – you know, we, we talked about this before we started the show. The reason why they're in the conversation right now to, to win another Big 12 championship, to probably have another run in the tournament, 
they're right now playing so well in December, and usually Kansas is kind of taking baby steps along this path right now. And they're still taking those steps with some of the freshmen, MJ Rice and some of the bigs. You know, they're coming off the bench. They still need some depth um, conversation in terms of getting more from their bench. But my gosh, you got an elite point guard. You got Jalen Wilson, who's going to be in the running for probably player of the year, who has shown way more this year than he ever has. He's following in the footsteps of Ochag Baji. Kevin McCullers now way more comfortable in his role. He that Missouri game for Kevin was such a coming out party because he played so so well against Indiana as well. You know, a guy that was five of eleven from the field had eleven rebounds and eleven points. He also had five steals. You know, so they're just getting so much great play already from these guys. One's a freshman, one's a transfer. You got two returners that are national champions that are they're your leaders of your team that are carrying you. That, to me, is a, is a really interesting group right now for Bill Self. And you know Bill Self is taking this team right now and thinking, how do I get my bench? How do I get my freshmen off the bench to play well? You know, and clearly, they're the favorites going in to the conference season. 10-1 uh, and one in their non-con. But the other team that has 10 wins so far in their non-con is Kansas State. Mm-hmm. and that's that, But that's something that makes college basketball now even more interesting, but also more unpredictable. Because look how quickly things turned around for Iowa State. Right in one year, they were able to turn things around from being the worst team in the league, and then a year later, they find themselves in the Sweet 16. I'm not saying Kansas State's going to do that, but with such a huge turnover on the roster, much like Missouri, and a brand new coach and coaching staff, it's very difficult to predict what they're going to do in the Big 12. And that's the same thing because of roster turnover. Yep. But K State. They look very impressive in beating a tough Nebraska team. And now here they are. They'll get another non-con win, and then they'll start the conference 11-1 and in their non-con. They've had some nice wins. But I, I don't know, like, are, are, they, are they a top five Big 12 team? Are they better but not ready to, to crack the top five? I think it's kind of all over the board what they could be, and that's going to be very interesting to see what Coach Tang does in his first year in the conference because they do have some nice talent. They've looked good in the non-con, but I just, it, there, there's so much turnover now in college basketball with the portal and everything else. It's really hard to predict what happens in conference play. It is. Yeah. And I think that's why right now, and you know, as we close December, there's a few more games left of non-conference and you start turning the page to the league play. You're starting to get more and more familiar with how teams are going to look. Like we're, we're talking about this Kansas team, adding Kevin McCuller, who is a really effective player in the big 12 coming from Texas tech as a transfer um, you, anymore, you, you, every year you go into a season and you got to look at everybody's roster and think, okay, where's so-and-so from? Is this a freshman? Is this a transfer? You know, the, the returners, um, I think still matter. You know, I still think they matter for, in terms of camaraderie and chemistry and those little, the, the intangible traits of a team that I still think are very important in, in success and winning and losing. Um, you you want to have as much as you can the ability to keep a guy, which I know is hard as can be now for coaches to even do that. So, um, you know, you look at this Kansas State team with Jerome Tang. Um, first of all, I'm so happy Jerome Tang is, is a head coach right now. Uh, he's been an assistant. He's paid his way, uh, and the dues have been paid for him uh, to be a head coach. And I love his energy. I love his enthusiasm. He walks into a room. The room brightens up. Um, you go to a practice. It's the same thing. You know, we always talk about you want your teams to reflect your head coach, and Kansas State is going to do that with Jerome Tang. There's no question. I even think of the way he's recruited and put this roster together, and uh, I can't say enough about the staff, too. Like, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. When you make a coaching hire, especially in college basketball, the head coach matters. It's the most important, you know, job that there is with the staff. Your assistants, your support staff, you know, your operations guys, your GAs, 
everybody matters and and the coaches that can hire and bring in the, the right people to set the tone with the staff it goes a long way when you get into conference play when you get into the rug the, you know the 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 tough kind of dog days of the college basketball season which are the the most important months January and February leading into March those are the most important months of a college basketball season the the staff matters you cuz you're doing so much you're recruiting every single day now you have to do that you have to have touch points with all your recruits and you have to coach the team that you have and you have to do the job that you want to do you want to coach basketball you got to deal with all other things under the sun to deal with on a day to day that i think coaches have to you know that that they struggle with quite frankly but when it comes down to coaching this team this Kansas State team is a lot of fun to watch it starts with Keontae Johnson who they got in the transfer portal out of Florida very very effective player um, was in the running for a first round pick conversation two years ago at Florida he was possibly going to be SEC player of the year he is playing at such a high level he's playing at an efficient level you look at the game against Nebraska 23 points 11 rebounds and he did that on 13 shots he was nine of 13 from the field hit a couple threes is he a first uh, round pick I think he's I think he's really I think he's the most underrated in the, the the player that's not talked about enough right now in college basketball. Uh, you know I don't know if he, he's a first round pick or not. It's a tough to say because of this, this draft is going to be so deep. The international talent's pretty solid, obviously. But he's with an Victor, NBA talent. But he is an NBA talent. Yes. To answer your question, he is I, in terms of where he's going to end up. I don't I, I I don't I can't say that. But I do think he's an NBA talent. He always has been. But he I mean just the the story of him coming back. You know I, there there was a lot of conversation of is he ever going to play basketball again. So I'm happy for the for for Keontae just because he he gets to play. You know he, he's doing he's playing the game he loves. It had to be so hard to sit out. He had a senior day at Florida where it was sort of like, is this the end? And you thought, no, there, there, there's got to be more. Like there 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 there's the hope that he's going to be able to play. And he got medically cleared. You know Kansas State did an incredible job to to get him. I mean Keontae was one of the most sought out players in the portal. And there were so many questions about his health. And he has put all those questions to bed by, by how he's played. And he's done it so efficiently and so effectively. He had four steals in that Nebraska game, so he does it on the defensive end too. Such a smart player, such a tough player. And he's a mature adult. You know, he's an adult on the floor. You go to a Kansas State practice, and he's the guy. He, he's the guy you watch because he controls the, the, the energy level. He control, controls the attitude of a practice. He is the coach on the floor. Coaches don't have to say a lot of things to him. He leads by example. Um, and there's just a deep respect when, when he walks in the room because he's a worker. Uh, he has a pro mentality and an attitude and an approach already that I think a lot of these younger guys look up to. And they think, wow, you know, Keontae's been through this. He, he's been in, in an NBA draft conversation. He's been in the conversation for player of the year. Maybe I need to watch that guy. Maybe I need to, to carry myself how that kid carries himself. But they got some other guys. Marquise Noel, seven assists. He's been such a great passer. He's been great so far for Jerome Tang in terms of a point. You got to have a point guard. We just talked about this, you know, with DeWan. He's got to be the guy for Kansas State in terms of creation, making plays in pick and roll, making plays in transition. They're bringing Desi Sills off the bench, who I still think is going to really help this team. He's not playing to the caliber I think they hoped he would, but I still think he can help this group. Uh, and then another great story is Naquan Tomlin, who's out of New York. Um, he's from you know from from Brooklyn. Um, he's a guy that has really humble beginnings and didn't really play basketball until you know he got to high school. Uh, he's six ten. He is a late, late, late bloomer. Very skilled. Very great. Great ball skills. Uh, can shoot it. He's coming along, had 15 and 7 in that game, was 6 of 10 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. So, right now, how Jerome Tang is playing, and it, there's some resemblance for me in terms of watching this team of when Coach Tang was at Baylor as an assistant 
with the length, the athleticism, the toughness, uh, how they play. Um, I, I get some drawback to playing against Pierre Jackson when he was at Baylor. I still think, you know, that, that, that point guard play was so valuable for that Baylor team. They had size and skill around the point guard, but the point guard still drove those teams. And you're seeing that with, with really how uh, Marquise Noel, and Marquise Noel is a returner as well. That, 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 again, the importance of returners still matters, and Marquise Noel is a big part of that. Okay, so another team you wanted to talk about uh, that we don't talk about all the time is Creighton. Yeah, yeah. Th- this, is, this has been, um, what the hell's going on with Creighton? <laughs> yeah. After back-to-back yep. wins against Texas Tech and Arkansas, they were 6-0 and and they were in the top 10. And they have not won since that win against Arkansas. They have lost six in a row to Arizona, Texas, Nebraska, BYU, Arizona State, and Marquette. Yep. What what has happened to Creighton? Yeah, it's 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 been a tough going right now for for Creighton. Um, you know, I, I I think Ryan Kalkbrenner being out from with injury is a huge loss. He's a seven foot big. Um, who is really the the established big of their team within their offense? They really try to establish him at all times. Um, you know, Creighton. This this is a team I wouldn't you know sleep on. I, I know they're now six and six. You know, the I, the fact they're six and six is just wild to me. But they gave Kansas a, a tough game. In the, the exactly, and you know they got Baylor Shireman in the transfer, um, who was such an effective player, uh, South Dakota State, and and really was a was a uh, you know. All you know, all level player. He was in the draft process last last year at the combine. You know, six seven, high IQ passer, can score it. Uh, he was a point guard last year. Now he's more of a wing. Um, in terms of you know how they really play him, Ryan Nebhard is their starting point guard. His uh, brother Andrew Nebhard is probably one of the best rookie, one of the best rookies that is playing in the NBA right now. A guy that came on really strong was at Florida, transferred to Gonzaga. Um, he's with the Pacers, and he's a really, really talented point guard, and I, I think he's really got a chance to be uh, a pro for a long time. And this is his brother who plays with that same chip on his shoulder, uh, being overlooked. Um, he's a really, really effective point guard. But, you know, they're, they're really just – the struggle with them is they've had turnover problems. That all, that's always what you look to with teams that, that you're like, wow, they're 6-6, six and six. They, they shouldn't be. They've had games where they've just – they've turned the ball over too much. They've had games where they've not shot it well. Uh, they've had games where they've struggled to defend. I was at their Texas game um, and and really just had too many lulls where, you know, there's some new pieces to this team, but a lot of these guys are, are back. Trey Alexander's back. Obviously, um, you know, Kalkbrenner, who, who's been hurt, but Arthur Kaluma um, is a guy that's that's going to be in the conversation at the next level. And, you know, he, he's had some inconsistencies. And so I, I, I think they're a team that's just finding out their way right now. They're still struggling um, they, they got beat pretty good by Marquette, uh, a game where they were down nine and a half. They, they played a little better in the second half, but their offensive efficiency, they're just not getting enough from. And they miss Kolkbrenner a lot because he, he does so much for them in terms of rim protection defensively. Uh, so they, they've really struggled without him. You see the importance of Ryan um, that, that they need to have. But I still think he gets back to this. This team is more talented um, than, than what they're showing. They're six and six. They're a better team than six and six. We know that. I still think they're going to be a dangerous team. That one of those teams that comes on strong, hopefully in late January into February. Um, you know, it, it's a tough task right now for for that for that staff in terms of getting this team to play at a high level. Um, they do have a freshman that that's playing pretty good in terms of and, and Frederick King, who's replaced Kalkbrenner. He was perfect from the field against Marquette. Um, he's a talented freshman, but you're asking him to do a lot and. We'll see where this team's at in February, but they've had some losses that some bad losses, and then losses where like the the 
the game that, that was one of my favorite games of the non-conference slate was when they played Arkansas um, in Maui. That was such a high-level basketball game. I mean, it was competitive, down-to-the-wire, big shots, and then you're thinking, man, these two teams are going to be in the – and Arkansas yeah, has played really – I on Arkansas, big <laughs> So, you know, they, they've, had some good, they've had some good moments, and, and I think they're a better team than, uh, than what they're showing right now. Okay, so what uh, – I'm always interested to hear where you go uh, for uh, your job with the – uh, New Orleans Pelicans, as far as scouting, uh, so what? What? Uh, what? What? what have, where were you at last weekend? And uh, you mentioned Madison Square Garden. Uh, some of the teams you've watched, and where? You, where? Uh, what's your next assignment? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been great in terms of where I've been able to go so far. I mean, being able to go to Madison Square Garden, uh, I love going there, evaluating. Had a chance to play there when I was a senior. Um, one of the more fun games to play in in the Jimmy V Classic when we beat Villanova my senior year. Um, you know, going to Duke this year, uh, first time going to Cameron was oh, was, really? was such a great, great experience, different experience uh, than I would say. Um, it's different than Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, both those are great college basketball environments, um, but, you know, the, the, they're just different. It's a different type of experience. You have a chance to piss off a lot of people here. I what, know. What was the craziest atmosphere, Allen Fieldhouse or it, Cameron? It, it's funny because no one of my – I'm going to put him on the spot here. One of my good buddies, Ike Opara, who played for sporting, is from Durham. Uh, he's a huge Duke guy. Loves it. Uh, grew up watching my boss Trajan Langdon, so he has a, a deep tie to Duke. Um, and so he kept texting me at the at the Duke uh, game I was at when they played Ohio State. Like, so Duke's a better environment, right? So, like, Duke, Duke's a better play. Yeah, and it's like, look, they're both they're both different. Like, Kansas, it's uh, the the history there speaks for itself. The, I, I think it's the loudest environment and the most raucous environment in college basketball. Duke is a great experience too. It's very it's it's a smaller venue. I mean, you you go to you know to the to Coach Kville, if you will, and it's you know you walk into Cameron, and you're like, whoa, like I was not expecting this, but it's just a shrine of the history of Duke basketball and the players that have gone through that program and all these guys that are now at the NBA level and the history with USA basketball. Coach K, I mean, it's a, it's a shrine. It's incredible. It's like watching going to a Broadway play almost when you go into this place, but it's still a, a must. It's still a bucket list. Yeah. If you're a basketball fan, any in, in, of NBA college doesn't matter. You need to go to a Duke game. If you can, it, it's a great, and, and then just going to, to that area. Like I fly into Raleigh. I'm, I'm going back to Raleigh this week. Actually, I'm going to go to North Carolina and I'm going to go to NC state. I'll go to NC state and North Carolina for the first time. So I'm really curious to see what it's like in the deep. Yeah. Wake forest right around there too. Like it's just kind of a, a hodgepodge, and it's all within five, ten miles of each other. That's what's so fun about it. Uh, you know, be, be like here in Kansas City, if you know Mizzou is a little bit closer, that just the how close these schools are to one another makes it a lot of fun. So I'll have that, um, and then the the next week I'll go to South Carolina and get to see Gigi Jackson, who is um, a big time, big time prospect uh, who was supposed to go to North Carolina. Now ends up at South Carolina, so you know, there's a lot of thoughts. And I know, baby. Uh, so what what venue have you not had a chance to visit that's on the top of your bucket list when it comes to college basketball? So it would be for me UCLA. I, I have not been out there to to see uh, Wooden uh, Wooden Arena and all that uh, the Poly and that the the. The history there too of do you, have, yeah, do you have a shrine of all the bags of money. <laughs> the well, let's face. I mean, you got to give a shout out too to some some local guys, right? Earl Watson and and Jerron Rush who played yeah. there. Who I grew up watching those UCLA teams and Earl Watson um, who comes back to Kansas City quite a bit. Is now an assistant with the Raptors. Um, you know, one of the, those players in the '90s that uh, those high school players that made Kansas City basketball quite a lot of fun for me to watch as a kid. Um, but I've never been out to UCLA. I have been to USC, but UCLA, obviously, just the history of that. Um, have you been up to Gonzaga? 
I've not. That's another one. That's another by environment. No question. Yeah, I. You know the the thing. The thing is, like, right now with with a lot of the conversation when you talk to people that are out there out west, the conference realignment, right? With you talk about UCLA and USC possibly going to the Big Ten. Gonzaga is flirted with trying to get into the Big Twelve. You know where does because the Pac twelve right now from a basketball standpoint. It's it's one of the bottom leagues right now. Uh, you could argue. I mean, Arizona State's played pretty well, but the the conversation is where where is where's the West Coast of, of basketball? What is that going to look like in the next two three years? Is that going to look much different in terms of? And does it help? Does it help them? Does it help college basketball? Like this is such a deep deep level of conversation to have of what that looks like. And because um, I was just at Maryland for UCLA Maryland. And the the comment was, what happens if this is an actual league game? I mean, you're talking a, a team from, you know, California that's in – I mean, you're talking coast to coast here, um, which that game was an ugly, ugly blowout game. Uh, and UCLA looks pretty good, and they got they got a lot of talent. So, UCLA, don't sleep on them come March. Okay, so uh, in, up, in, in future episodes, we're going to have guests. Yes. So, Sophie Cunningham's already agreed. And now she's uh, part of the broadcast crew for Phoenix Suns games. So, she's going to be a guest. I have requested you to reach out to Mike Anderson. Yes. So I want to hear about the elbow that he gave you and you yeah. battling him in rec league basketball yep. and earning a spot on his team as a walk-on and then a scholarship player. And so I think I'd like – and then, you know, we might as well – I mean, Phil Pressey. Oh, gosh, yes. Talk about his path and what he wants I was, to do. I was going to say, I've had a couple couple former guys have already reached out like, yeah, hey. Who else? You know, I'm, Lawrence Bowers has got to be one, yeah. one of my best friends. And, Talk about that NIL. And so, yeah, you know, he's he's a guy that uh, would love it. And then um, i got to give a shout-out to Kim English, who we talked about, um, just how we how we met through Kim. But Kim was inducted in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, it's a huge honor and deserved honor. And now the head coach at George Mason – um, just a bright, bright basketball mind. He always has been, and uh, we always knew he was going to be a head coach. And uh, he's the future for him, and what he's going to be as a head coach is is so bright. And his ability to recruit when he was at Colorado and at Tennessee and at Tulsa, um, you know, NBA draft former NBA draft pick, um, who is just the, the the guy that I always go to um, for for things when when I need to to really dive into details of certain things he's always a guy I, I pick his brain on everything if I can I want so congrats Jacob Pullen Jacob Pullen would be a great one oh you know God shout out to K-State fans Jacob Pullen heard him on podcast and he says a lot so I want Jacob Pullen. <laughs> okay you gotta figure out I mean I could say Greg Gurley but I talked to him too much already mm-hmm. and so a, a good former Kansas player that would be fun to talk to I got. I th- I'm. I'm leaning Brandon Rush with this one. Okay, I've talked to Brandon right. before. National champion. The Rush brothers in here. A Rush podcast. All the this, get all the Rush Ooh. brothers in here, and then we'll find out who the best Rush brother was. Man, I can get them on the record. That's. All, I want to do that. How about how about Frank Haith? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Coach Haith, his career and the history of like schools he's been at, players he's coached. Coach Haith would be a great one. Some, That's a great there's name. Some, there's some good ones, um, and so we're gonna have some great future. Uh, uh, episodes with guests on it uh, on House of Hustle. And, of course, we have to mention Charlie Hustle, who is the wonderful sponsor of this podcast. You can go to charliehustle.com if you want to finish off that Christmas list for the sports fan in your life. All the schools that we talk about, they got great merchandise for whatever fan you've got in your family. Even if you're embarrassed that, like, maybe your cousin roots for the team you hate, get them a shirt anyway from Charlie Hustle and make him happy or make her happy. 
And I know you can go down to the plaza and pick up some great merchandise. You love the Charlie Hustle shirts, don't you? I just went, I did this for some Christmas shopping a couple days ago. So, uh, well, it was for, it was a, uh, I got the linen. So I, 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 I oh, I, 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 it's still on the list. Like I'm still doing, I'm still doing that. You know, be a double XL uh, maybe, Kansas City Roos shirt. Maybe I need there. to, you know, since we have a clinic to, yeah. to do tonight, you know, I got some time here where I might be able to get it. St. Gabe shirt. That's right. Oh, there, see, thank you. I need some. I, you're the do, you're the dobo now, yeah. coach. Well, you're kind of you, you're, you're like cool. you've been promoted. So, but you 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 have a lot of duties. Okay, so I've now. been sending emails to parents. I've been trying to get everything lined up. I've lined up a scrimmage. I got us in a holiday tournament. I'm making things happen. But Charlie Hustle, thank you for. Uh, helping us uh, put together this podcast. And that's the place. You win any of the gear. You're talking about Mizzou, KU, K-State, even the Ruse, whatever we talk about, charliehustle.com. Go down to the playoffs if you like to shop in person and get everything in your hands right there. Cross off all the people on your Christmas list going to Charlie Hustle. Is that right? That's right. And I think, too, something to look at, look forward to with this podcast is, um, you know, Charlie Hustle now in that NIL world, in that NIL space, they've signed a lot of athletes uh, around the area with our local schools, and they do a great job of promoting those athletes. Uh, there's a good chance we'll probably have a few of those on this podcast uh, down the road too. So um, big, big shout out to Charlie Hustle and, and, and Greg Moore and, and Chase McNulty as always that have given us this opportunity. Let's get Isaiah Mosley on the podcast and just ask him, why won't you play 30 minutes a game, please? A lot of questions. A lot of questions. No answer to that is there. All right, Jared Sutton, close the show. We've talked a lot. Of, uh, we, we've talked about a lot. We've talked about a lot. Time flies. It's almost an hour, but that was a hell of a second episode. A lot to cover. I mean, right now, you, you, league plays right around the corner, and these these our, our local schools here have, have played at a high level. And we just talked about Creighton, who I you know they're a 500 team. They're 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 behind the eight ball right now, but they're a team that is so dangerous that is going to be in this conversation. Nebraska's off to a you know they're 500, but they they've had some great performances. Where you think, man, they're going to be kind of fun to watch in the Big 12 in the Big 10 as well. So. A lot to look forward to, and with this podcast, the interviews, looking forward to that Sophie Cunningham. I got a lot of questions for Sophie. She's a, she's a world of knowledge as, as well, and one of the best basketball players to come out of the state of Missouri. So we got a lot to look forward to on the, on the House of Hustle podcast. We'll look forward to our podcast next week. Until next time, this has been the House of Hustle. I'm Stephen St. John. That's Jared Sutton. He has better hair than me.